Good morning. We're glad you're all here, and I'm glad Pastor's here. We uh, appreciate uh, answered prayer for his on his behalf, and, and others who are in our congregation today who have been uh, sick and are back with us. And we appreciate that very, very much. Let's bow in prayer before we look at John 21, please. Father, help us now as we look into your word. May it speak to our hearts. Help us to be alert. Help us to obey. And may we go from here today, having learned something that will help us in our walk with you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. John 21, 1 to 14, I'm not going to read those verses, we will do it as we go, but uh, the title of the message today is Lessons from a Fishing Trip, and I thank Joanna for the nice theme on the bulletin, that's a nice fishing scene. I, I never fished quite like that because we fished in the Amazon, you don't do it that way. But anyway... Um, fishing is interesting, and uh, I remember my first fishing trip in the Amazon. We uh, went with the Slender Brothers downstream, oh, several miles. The river, it, our front door was two miles wide, so there's a lot of river and a lot of fish. 750 varieties, we are told, down there in those waters. So the fishing trip was bound to be successful, I guess, and we... Um, we stationed the boat kind of near a sandbar, and we started fishing. And before the day was over, I had five of the most luscious fish you could ever lay your eyes on or sink your teeth into. Uh, the tumbaki is one of the favored fish of the Amazon. I caught three of those that day, and the rest of them were catfish. But they were, you know, not the rinky-dinky ones. I'm talking about big ones. And it was a lot of fun. We had another favorite fishing spot, but it was very unusual. The Amazon has many islands in it. And these islands uh, are, are so big that they have lakes in the islands, in the midst of the Amazon River. So we hire a man to take a canoe. Boy, I, I, he probably thought we were crazy. He carried a canoe on his head over and had to put it in his canoe, get it over to the island, walk forever, and take this thing balanced on his head, take it to a nice lake in the middle of this of this great island, and there was our fishing craft for that, that particular episode. So we all get into the boat and go fishing on this lake in this island. Amazing. As you look over the edge of the, of the, the big canoe which he's taken, it is just writhing with fish. But these fish are piranhas. <laughs> you don't want to dangle even the tip of your finger in there, or it'll be gone. I wondered how sensible we were to do such a trick. But anyway, it was fun because you throw anything in the water that has a hook on it and you'll get a prana. But if any of you are old enough to remember the 7-Up slogan of years ago, remember, you like it, it likes you. That's the story of the prana. They, they like us. But we really do like them. Yeah. Well, enough for fishing. Let's get to the text. <clears throat> the lesson today from my premise as I look at Scripture is a man-planned fishing trip and the lessons we learn from it. Now, the place in the setting is in verses 1 and 2. Notice there with me these uh, interesting verses. They are... Uh, they are very, very interesting, and I will just read them. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's another name for the Sea of Galilee, of course. 
And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I am going fishing. Well, uh, the place in the setting was, of course, the Sea of Galilee. And John, uh, the third time, this is the third time that Jesus has, has appeared to his disciples. We are told in verse 14 of this, of this text. Um, if you counted with me, and you probably didn't, how many were present where Jesus had appointed them? There were only seven. And, of course, there were more disciples than that. So we always wonder where the other ones were. Scripture does not tell us, and we will never know until we get to heaven, but we can sure do a lot of conjecturing, and it's kind of interesting where they may have been. Uh, Jesus had told them repeatedly that he would go to Galilee, and there they would meet him. Now, it's interesting, um, uh, in Matthew twenty-six thirty-two. But after, after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Matthew 26, verse 32. Matthew 28 says this in verse 7, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. That's verse 7. Now look at verse, now look at verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now look at verse 16. This is the interesting one. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. So now we know that much of the story. But now look at verse, uh, now look at, uh, at Mark chapter uh, 16. And verse, uh, is it verse 6 or 7? I forget. Anyway, it's, it's here. It's in your, in, your, uh, in your notes there. Notice, but go, Jesus speaking, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Matthew 16, verse 7. Very interesting. Uh, Peter had a special invitation, and if you read the rest of this chapter, you will see that, of course, he, Jesus is going to be dealing with Peter. That's why he had a special invitation. But now the conclusion I draw from this is this, that they probably grew impatient on this mountain that Jesus appointed them to go, where I just read to you in the, in the Matthew uh, chapter. They probably grew impatient, waiting for Jesus, and decided to go fishing, Guess there's nothing wrong with that, but Jesus says, here's the mountain I'll meet you at in Galilee. Now, wait for me there. But anyway, they went fishing. We know that because they're fishing. Um, we will study this section based on the premise that they should have waited for Jesus in the mountain, but instead they went fishing. Now, you can argue about that, and it's okay if you do. We don't really know the true answer, but that's the premise on which I'm going based on what we read as we go through this text today. So the lessons from the fishing trip are this. Number one, use your influence in the right way. Now, how did I get that? Well, notice notice verse 3. I just read that a, a moment ago. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Doesn't that sound like Simon Peter? That's the way he would do it. He, he's always the first one to speak. Incidentally, do you notice his name came first in the list up there? And if you go through the New Testament, you will always find that he's always the first one on the list. Kind of interesting. Uh, I go a-fishing. And so they said, um, they said um, the, the other six that were with him said, well, uh, we'll go with you. You see, folks, my, my 
conviction about this verse based on what we read here is this, that your life and action influence other people. Whether you want to or not, the decisions you make, the things you do, the things you say is influencing someone else in a very definite way. You don't have to say anything sometimes. Should Peter have gone fishing? I don't know. But at least we understand as we read the text that some things went kind of different than what these men were used to as, as seasoned fishermen. I read the story of a man who dreamed he was in hell, and when asked to give a description of it, especially all the suffering, flames, blasphemy, etc., he responded, There was something far worse than all those things. I was compelled to face my influence. I knew that I deserved punishment, for I had scorned and rejected Jesus Christ, but my sorest pain was to see what the effects of my life had been upon others. You see, folks, you, you do not live or die unto yourself. Everything you do, you are teaching someone else a lesson, and you cannot escape it. Peter says, I go a-fishing. And six other men said, we're going to go with you. And they did. A young, a young man, a Christian, at the end of his life was so filled with regret because he had, uh, he, had, uh, he had done so little for Christ that his dying request was this, bury my influence with me, O God. Interesting, isn't it? Just one act of, our, of ours may turn the tide of another person's life. Think of it. Just one action can turn the tide of someone else. It is impossible for you to influence others to live on a higher plane than that, than that on which you live yourself right now. I read a story which was so moving. You see, in, in the workplace, you can make decisions that really can influence other people. Listen to this. One time, the electrical workers in Paris called a general strike. Soon after, the, soon after the walkout began, a child of one of the laborers became seriously ill. When the physician arrived, he told the mother that the little girl would need immediate surgery to save her life. There was no time to take her to the hospital, so the doctor quickly prepared the kitchen table for an emergency operation, and darkness was falling quickly upon the world, and, and the final sanitary preparations were completed. The doctor went over to the switch on the wall and flipped the switch, but there was no electricity. It was impossible to perform the surgery. Just then the father burst into the room and exclaimed, Hooray! The strike is complete. There isn't a light burning in Paris. And his little girl died on the table. You think your influence is not important? Oh, friend, it's so important. Be careful, be careful. Your life does count. My life shall touch a dozen lives before this day is done. Leave countless marks for good or bad ere sets the evening sun. This is the wish I always wish, the prayer I always pray. Lord, help my life, help others' lives. It touches by the way. Be careful of your influence, dear friends. Now the second lesson from the fishing trip. The second lesson is discern correctly your circumstances. That is in verse 3. It's not very, not very much to it. Uh, 
Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Interesting, isn't it? Caught, be, be, discern correctly your circumstances. Why didn't they catch any fish? Now, I realize that God does not always ordain that every time you go on a fishing trip, you're going to catch fish. I know that. But these men were seasoned fishermen. They knew how to do it. They really did. They were fishermen. Well, they caught nothing. If Jesus asked them to go to the mountain, and that's the, the assumption that I'm going on here as we, as we look at this lesson, if Jesus asked them to go to the mountain, uh, is that where they should be right now? Well, I personally think yes. Solomon said there is a time for everything in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If, if that is so, is it possible that there is a time when some things should not be done? I think so. Why did these seasoned fishermen catch nothing? Not all fishing trips are successful. Remember in Luke chapter 5, these same group of men, uh, Jesus told them from now on, you will catch men. And, of course, they had been unsuccessful, and Jesus said, throw the net in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the lake, and you will catch. And they did. And so that was an interesting story also. They forsook all and followed him in Luke 5, verse 11. If things aren't going so well for you, maybe you could check your spiritual guidance system and ask the Lord, am I in your will doing this? That's why I call it the circumstances. God uses circumstances to help us know if we're kind of on track with him or not. And here is one instance of it. And I trust that we will always uh, use our sense and evaluate the circumstances of life in through, through which we are going to help us in these things. Dr. F.B. Meyer gives a practical uh, advice on discerning God's will for your life. He wrote, When I was crossing the Irish Channel one starless night, I, I stood on the deck by the captain and asked him, How do you know Holly, Hollyhead Harbor on so dark a night as this. Can't see anything. He said, you see those tree lights off in the distance? All of them must line up together as one, and when we see them so united as one, then we know that the exact position of the harbor's mouth, and we'll go in that direction. When we want to know God's will, my friend, when we want to know God's will, there are three things which always concur. The heavenly impulse, that is these God's directing you. The word of God and the trend of circumstances about which we just spoke. God in the heart impelling you forward. God in his book corroborating whatever he says in the heart. And God in circumstances indicating his will. Never start until these three things agree. Is that the way we live our lives? Do we care what God thinks? Do we like to have his direction? I hope we do. I hope we do. There was a lady years ago who used to sell sewing items. You know, you know all kinds of bobbins and, and all kinds of thread and needles and, and knitting gear and all that. And she was an amazing lady. And she, uh, she would come to an intersection in the path, you know, where they lived, you know, way years ago. And she would throw a stick up in the air. And it would come down, and when it would point that way, that's the road she took. One day, she came to the intersection, and another person saw her throwing the stick up in the air, back and forth, and picked it up again. And he says, what's wrong? She says, I always use the stick to tell which direction I should go. Today, I want to go that way, and the stick's not playing that way. 
Have, have we ever done that? Have we ever done that? Hoping the stick goes that way, because that's the way we want to go. Listen, folks, get your instruction from him. It's way better, way better. Well, the third lesson from the fishing trip. Admit you have a problem. I love this. And I don't know how the Lord works out things in heaven. But look at verse 5. When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the uh, verse 4 on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then notice this, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? I would, if I get to heaven, do you think the Lord would ever replay that sound for me? Probably not. But if he has a tape recorder going or a digital machine, um, when he says, do you have any food? They answered him, no. How do you suppose that no sounded? How do you suppose they said the word no? Well, I know it was kind of dejected. They didn't catch any fish. Have you got, any, you got anything to eat? No. It's amazing. Um, admit you have a problem. They admitted they caught no fish. But see, sometimes we get ourselves into a situation and we just don't have the courage to admit to the Lord, we have a problem. We need your help. That's what happened here. It's hard to admit you caught no fish when you're a fisherman. It's so hard to acknowledge something's not going well when it's not going well in our lives, my dear friends. Peter and the others had this experience on another occasion that I just mentioned in Luke 5. Uh, 5. Jesus said, launch out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And he did. Confess. Confess means say the same thing God does about our sin. So if you've gone the wrong road, if you have made the wrong decision, if you have done something you know is not in agreement with God's word and the circumstances that have allowed these things to take place, just admit, confess to the Lord, saying what he already knows about your life, confess it. The disciples answer no would uh, it was an amazing admission that they had done wrong. First John 1 John 1.9, what a great verse in the Bible. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a verse. What a verse. What a great God we have. The great inventor Charles, Charles Kettering said, uh, Turning failures into successes. Honestly face defeat. Never fake success. Number two, don't waste your failures. Learn from it. Each bitter experience can teach us something. Number three, don't use failure for an, ex uh, for an excuse for not trying again. If, if you first don't succeed, try, try again. So, admit when you've made a mistake, dear friend. It's the greatest thing you can do before a holy God. Lord, I've goofed. I've made a mistake. I've sinned. I'm, I, I shouldn't have done this. Admit it to him, and he will, he will bless you as you confess that to him. The fourth fishing lesson is um, the reason for not recognizing Jesus. Look at verse 4. I just read that verse. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now, I know all the scripture in the New Testament that talks about how Jesus was able to change his appearance so he could actually make himself uh, unrecognizable to whomever he wanted. That's a, that's a biblical uh, teaching we see in the New Testament. But 
there's another reason why the disciples did not recognize him in verse 5. Uh, it is very, very, very uh, interesting. Or verse 4, it is. Verse 4, yes. You see, <clears throat> they didn't expect Jesus to be there. When you have made a decision and you have used your influence in whatever way you have used your influence, and you are in the situation you are now. You can, you can be sure of one thing, my dear friend, that they didn't expect him there. That's for sure. They were concerned with fishing, not with seeing Jesus. He told them to meet them in Galilee, but at the, at the mountain, remember? And we get so involved in our pet projects and our plans that we truly don't expect to see Jesus there. How many of us consciously in our walk with Christ each day just say Lord I'm going here going there and I know you'll be with me it's such a joy to know that you're with me you see that's the way we should operate and walk in our Christian life expect Jesus to be there well is he welcome in all areas of our lives dear friends is he are you self-directed? Are your self-directed plans so far from being what pleases the Lord that you would not dare ask Him to be there where you are now? May it not be so. Are you so far out of fellowship with the Lord that you would not recognize Him if He did appear? Oh, the blessedness of walking in fellowship with Him. The verse that we use so much, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. What a great verse this is. Would you plan a vacation and not take your spouse or children? Some people do. Would you make a monumental decision without asking your wife? Some do. Then don't do anything without including the Lord and even consulting him before you actually do it, my dear friend. That's the lesson that we get here about not recognizing Jesus in our daily lives. There's a fifth lesson from the fishing trip, and that's follow God's instruction. Look at verse 6. What a great verse. And he said to them, this is Jesus, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. I've always been intrigued with this verse, because through the years as, as I've studied it, I learned something that I had never known before. Of course, there's a lot of things I haven't known before. But anyway, this one was very, very interesting. You see, he told them, he told them to cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. In my research, I have discovered that the custom of the day was to always cast the net on the other side. And Jesus comes along and says, cast it on the right side. Isn't that interesting? Do you think Jesus knows where the fish are? Yeah, he does. Do you think, do you think that even as smart as we think we are, and we've always done it that way, like they did, it would be kind of a good idea to listen to Jesus now and then, do it his way? That's what they did. And I'll tell you, he says, cast it on the right side of the boat and you will find. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Amazing. Just amazing. Yep. This may be a novel idea for some. God-directed activity is, pro is productive, friends. Jesus knew where the fish were. Note, the right side of the boat, as I've already talked about, obedience to him. What a great lesson this is 
Now, let's go to the, the next fishing lesson, number six. It's found in verse 10 and 11. Listen to those verses, please. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. That's quite an amazing two verses, really, folks. Uh, The answer I put down here is, let God empower you. Now, it's very interesting. Look at verse 6 with me, please. Look at verse 6 with me. Verse 6 is a very interesting verse which says, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw the net. In other words, when they followed Jesus' plans, they caught so much fish, they couldn't even drag them in. Now notice, over here in verse 11, it says, it says something very, very interesting. Jesus gives them a command and Simon Peter, verse 11, went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish. Now, why was it in verse 6, 7 could not bring the fish in, but when Peter responded in obedience to Jesus, he, one person, drug them all in? Can you figure that one out? There's only one way to figure it out, dear friends, that when God ordains you and calls you to do something He will empower you and give you the ability to do it. Never a question. And it is so wonderful to rely upon a holy God to empower you to do what God wants you to do in this life. It's such a wonderful way to live. I trust that we will all learn it and learn it today. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If the disciples had gone fishing to get fish for their breakfast, they really didn't need to, did they? Why? Why didn't they need to? Because did you see, did you see the verse? It's very, very interesting. Um, then as, verse 9, then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on and bread. This is before they brought in the fish. Jesus cooked breakfast for them. If they left the mountain to go fishing to get some food for breakfast, Boy, they really messed up on that one because now they had so much fish they didn't know what to do with it. And Jesus couldn't really use it because he already had breakfast prepared for them, bread and fish. But look at how gracious he is. He said, now bring some of the fish which you have just caught. In that great, that's a gracious God. Bring some more fish. Maybe some of you are extra hungry. And what I fixed here won't be maybe enough for all of you, but you can have some more because you're going to bring some more of it that you just caught. What a wonderful lesson. Well... The scripture is so precious. It is so wonderful. And you see, um, God will give you the ability to do what he wants you to do. Is there some area of your life, my friend, that you need God's direct help? Ask him. Let him empower you for that which he wants you to do. It's so wonderful. Okay, here's another lesson. Number seven, learn from God's reminders of sin. Learn from God's reminders of sin. Um, Look at verse 9. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Let me just ask you something. Jog your memory just a little bit. Where was Peter a while back? Well, he was warming his hands over a fire. Was he not? That's where he denied his Lord. In fact, 
the scripture sequence is very, very interesting. You see, um, <clears throat> now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself in Acts chapter, uh, John chapter 18. And then in verse 25, Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. See, Peter not denying his Lord. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden and, and him with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. You see, it's interesting, isn't it? That when the fishing trip was fruitless, and then Jesus came and showed them how to fish, and they caught the fish. When Peter got up on land, the first thing he saw was a fire of coals, and it had to be a tremendous blow in his conscience. Oh, I remember that fire the last time, the last time I warmed my hands over fire and denied my Lord Jesus. You see, God brings reminders into our lives this way all the time, sweetly and wonderfully, to help us remember how good he's been to us. And so, in the following verses, Peter will be brought back into fellowship with him, and what does it take, my friend, to convict convict us of something we have done wrong or of some place where we have gone off track and the Lord needs to get us back on track? Oh, how wonderful this is. I read a story of a Christian traveling on an ocean liner. And he, he offered a gospel track to a man on the ship. And the, the man took it and he received it with a great scowl because he... Wanted nothing to do with it. So what he did, when the, when the guy who gave it to him was away, he took the thing and he tore it into a jillion pieces and threw it overboard. Then he went into the bar to have a drink. And while he was lifting the glass to his lips, he noticed a piece of paper on the lapel of his coat over here. So he took the thing off and looked at it and it said, God. And he turned it over and it said, Eternity. One piece of paper from the gospel track. That thing haunted him so much that he sought out the man who gave him the track and the man pointed him to Jesus Christ, how, showing him how he was a sinner and lost and without Christ he would go into a Christless eternity. And that man sweetly led this, this man to Jesus Christ over one little piece of paper that said, God and eternity. And folks... There's a piece of paper like that in your life, and that's with the same words, God and eternity, and you can't get over it. You come to the end of life's journey, there's God, and just there, eternity. Are you ready to meet your Savior? Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts. Help us to know. Help us to know if we're in Jesus or not. All who have trusted him as their Savior, Lord, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And Lord, I pray for everyone today in this auditorium that they have made that decision for Jesus Christ. And other decisions about our influence and our lives as exhibited in these lessons from the fishing trip. I pray that you will speak to people today and help them to make things right before Holy God. Do you need Jesus today? 
if you do just raise your hand and say, I want to receive him as my Savior anywhere. And if, if you have a decision that you need to make for him about your life based on these simple lessons from a fishing trip, talk to God about them. Lord, seal to our hearts whatever we've learned today in the message. Don't let us remember anything that was not supposed to be remembered as the people listen today. Erase those thoughts from our minds and just help us to focus on Jesus and whatever you have taught us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.